Welcome to the Speaking Podcast. You can find all our episodes on speakingpodcast.com. We're also on BitChute and YouTube. You'll find the links in the podcast description. I'm also a podcasting coach because I've got four of my podcasts that got to the top half percent. You'll find everything on bio.link forward slash podcaster. Today, my guest, certified EFT couples therapist and the creator and founder of Empathy with an I method. He is a BA and MA in economics in Trinity College, Dublin an AMA in counselling psychology from Meridian University and lots more of other things which we'll touch on. And I probably know your name and most wouldn't. You go by Figs O'Sullivan, but I know it's Fiacra. So welcome to the show. Uh, thank you, Roy, so much for having me on. Yeah, yeah someone, it's good to meet someone that knows how to pronounce my name on a podcast too. <laughs> and it's funny, like the two Irish people on opposite sides of the world, I'm in Poland and you're in uh, Hawaii, so... I know we couldn't be literally opposite time zones right now, right? Exactly. Couldn't exactly. be further apart. So I I presume fiacre is hard for people. Like I like I found a few different things. I I saw for the meaning of fiacre. I know it's an Irish name. It's like raven. I saw eagle, and then I heard you on some other episode like a battle king. It's. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Well, this is the thing. As a kid growing up, I, it was always there was no direct English translation. But now the Internet has all sorts of different ideas about what what fiacre means. Brilliant. So we're going to talk a lot about the therapy, couples therapy, because I think it's very important. But I, I want to kind of go through your speaking journey as well, because obviously in Trinity and everything, you'd have to kind of do a thesis, stand up, do a project probably. But I don't know what you're even going back to school, you know, in uh, in Dublin. Yeah, yeah. well, that's interesting. Um, you know, when I, was, uh, when I was 12 years old, it's so interesting. I can barely relate to that 12 year old me um i was the lead in the school play like in the like you know in our i guess it's middle school in america but it'd be a first year of high school in ireland and so i had a lot of confidence in myself at 12 i guess then when i made you know you start i don't know voice breaking um going through puberty i by the time I went to college, I developed a lot of self-consciousness about my accent. You know, so I'm someone who I was brought up in a, you know, lower middle class neighborhood. I would have had a, quite a strong Dublin accent up until the age of 12. It wasn't a problem for me. And but then I was sent to private schools. You know, I, 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 you know, went to the only Jewish school in Ireland. And I went to like, you know, like a mainly Protestant school. And the principal of one of these schools actually called my parents in to talk to them about how inappropriate my accent was for the school. So. So by the time I went to college, interestingly, I would think about what I was going to say beforehand, just in social conversations, because I knew the fact that I can't pronounce my THs would give me away as the, you know, um, gurrier, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the, you know, this little riffraff that I really am. So 
So it's interesting. I spent like as a young man, like in, in Ireland in college, kind of very self-conscious about speaking. Um, and then that's part of what I think was so attractive about California and San Francisco. Look, people didn't care. No one's going to be asking me what school did I go to. You know, they're not going to play. No one's trying to place you socially. All people want to know is, can you do the job? Is it? Doesn't matter. Can you do the job? Can you make the money? Right. And like I, I started off as a stockbroker, right? So it's not like do the job is like every day you were ranked by how much money you did, made the day before. Right. And I, I, you know, I, even though I, you know, it was a tough way to start my career, right? That level of competition. But um, it was really nice that there was no where did you come from? What sport did you play? You know, no one was trying to like place me socially. Brilliant. So you you then done further studies. So you might kind of talk about all the education that you done even when you were in the states. Well, yeah. So okay, I, you know, my my dad's a therapist. My mother's a therapist. I mean, you know, my mother's retired. My dad's still going seventy. He'll be seventy nine this year. He's still at it as a psychotherapist in Dublin. My sister's a therapist. And so I tried to um, fight the family profession and went like into like stockbroking. Um, but then event, look, I, I knew that it was really my vocation too to be a therapist. And so I eventually went in my 30s, I gave up working in financial services and I moved to a place called Esalen. I don't know if any of your listeners are familiar with Esalen, but Esalen is a retreat center in Big Sur, basically in the wilderness along the California coast, mountains, river, ocean, hot springs, all meet each other. This glorious, one of the most beautiful places on earth. And I got to live there for a year and a half. And it's where like Eastern philosophy and Western existential experiential psychotherapy kind of come together. And I often think of Esalen as my third parent. You know, I I practiced um psychotherapy as a as a as a way of living life, not just as a um, you know, helping other people. Uh, for myself and then like improvisational dance you know art creativity for a year and a half right solid so I, I really think of that as the probably the most important education and then I went back and got my master's I was in a doctorate program in counseling psychology but then when it became clear to me that the and from my perspective, right, it doesn't mean this is true for everybody, that the only reason to go on and get the doctorate was if I continued to doubt my abilities to be a therapist, because all I wanted to do was be a therapist. And once I had the master's, I could be a therapist. And the doctorate, the PhD after your name was just kind of the... Um, was just a way to tell people, look, I'm valid, right? You see, do you see I'm valid? You should see me. So, so once I had the masters, I left the, the, um, you know, the university I went to and I started my own practice almost instantly. Um, sit and practice being a psychotherapist. And I, I just, I just loved it. Um, and then, of course, all of the work I'd done in the past on sales and marketing 
was able to combine that with um with the love of the craft of psychotherapy to develop a business excellent and growing up in a family of therapists did you feel like that you were constantly being analyzed was there a thought process in your head no i mean no but so when is i've grown up in a family of therapists what i grew up in is a very typical irish family in the sense that um my dad is an alcoholic heartbroken mother right basically um, you know raising her two kids on her own and you know, like, so let's just say very common life betrayal, that is alcoholism for a family. Well, how we overcame that was by actually getting to know ourselves, be curious about ourselves as people and transforming our own life betrayal into, you know, our superpower, which is this ability to, you know, be empathic and compassionate and help people and their, you know, personal life transformations. So, so, you know, one, and then I think there's a big misunderstanding often with psychotherapy, there's different types of psychotherapy. And sure, for sure, some people are analysts, and they're analyzing other people. But when I train psychotherapists now, uh, one of the things I'm always trying to emphasize is the only reason I do anything, the only reason I ask questions, the only reason I tell stories, right? The only reason I'm listening to the other person, right? Trying to engage in some intervention, psycho, um, psychotherapeutic intervention is to gain empathy and compassion for the other person. It's never actually to analyze. Right. I'm always trying to become the other person. I'm trying to become what they're experiencing and then hopefully help them experience more fully that which is true for them. Uh, interestingly, um, analysis, what you know, like you say, what people often think, like other people are analyzing you, it's just not part of the work that I do, at least. Okay. And, you know, you mentioned about your father, like when I grew up, I mean, there was a load of uh, the friends that there was alcoholism. I was usually the father in in mostly. And what I noticed, and I don't know, is it a trend that you see yourself, is that the children were either against it then when they grew older or they became alcoholics themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, look, it's a, it's a family, as they say, it's a it's a family um it affects everybody in the family, right? Alcoholism. And so everybody has to find a way to like survive and thrive, yeah. whatever, whatever path they take. Now, by the way, your accent, where are you actually from? I'm from, uh, we're opposite sides of the world. No, but we were opposites as well. When we were in Ireland, I'm from Cork. Where in Cork? A talker. <laughs> the talker yeah, my, so <laughs> the my dad bless. is from, yeah, my dad's from Ballyfeehan. Ah, okay, yeah, because my mum is actually from Balafia, and so my grandma used to yeah, live there, yeah. so I spent well, a lot of time in Balafia, Connolly Road. Right, right, yeah, no, so that's, I would have spent a lot of my childhood out playing soccer on the streets, right, in Balafia. Yeah. So I know that uh, you're um, a podcaster as well, and you're actually doing it with your wife, so, which is very interesting, because you're kind of, you're, you're helping people, but you're also kind of, from, from what I understand, you're kind of going through your own issues that's on the podcast. Is that correct? The way that you're kind of. Yeah. But again, so, so 
so much of the work we do is about it's you know like the name of the company right empathy is we're just trying to help people understand that which they're going through is normal it may not be particularly pleasant but it's totally normal and the way to improving how you feel is through feeling your feelings better not actually working on feeling better and so we try and model in our podcast, right? Uh, we have different types of episodes, but when we do the episodes with my wife and I, we try and model what it is to be actually conscious in love and relationship and acknowledge and accept that we get reactive and we have hurt feelings and that we create negative systems with each other. And, you, and we use those negative systems that we create as opportunities for greater... Uh, connection. We don't actually spend our time working on not getting into trouble, which most people are pretty determined to work on not getting into trouble. Um, we're always trying to help people kind of come to this kind of being in what's happening more fully, not trying to get away from it. So yeah, so we try and model that for people. Okay. And just on the show itself, because like I do with uh, my ex-wife, I do the Polish one, but I've seen a lot of people when they're kind of like co-hosting, one is kind of stepping on top of the other. Or how does it work with you? How do you navigate like kind of controlling the mic, let's say? Or... Yeah, look, that's definitely been an issue. Um, It's a really good question. I, I would say the podcasting as the host and especially as co-host, has been a really big personal growth uh, vehicle for me personally. Uh, what I realize is I have a tendency to think everything's going really badly. And, <laughs> and then, you know, goes, you know, I'm from Ireland, right? Rain and cold, everything's going bad. And then because my wife's from Hawaii, she's just optimistic, like till the end, right? Just always happy, cheerful. And so it's been really interesting to get the study again, to be, become conscious, right? Aware of just how frightened I get, you know, when we're rec recording podcasts with each other. And then I have a tendency when I get frightened that things are, I get threatened. I'm not very good at listening. My listening skills diminish the more, the more scared I get. And I, I feel I have to I have to take over. I th I can feel that. Look what she said. It could be said better. I repeat what she said. Not in the, like there's sometimes repeating what you said is a good thing, right? You, you let the person know you heard them. But this isn't it. So it's been it's been a wonderful experiment podcasting on putting ourselves into a relationship. Uh, a relationally difficult situation with each other and then studying, uh, getting to know ourselves more deeply and how do we, you know, navigate those stressful situations and end up having more empathy and compassion for each other and closer than ever because we went through it. Again, we didn't try and avoid it. We actually purposely went into the middle of it. It was difficult. We hurt each other's feelings. We step on each other's toes. And then we're able to have empathy and compassion and love the parts of each other that got hurt when we were in that threatened place with each other. No, I think it's a fantastic idea. And it's just, you know, people then can kind of relate to that because so many people think if they have an argument or anything, 
or the stuff that you're discussing, because I know there's a few different topics that you've covered, they feel that it's kind of unique to them instead of it's exactly. kind of the norm. So, the, yeah, sorry. No, no, go on. That's good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So there's, there's a few things actually that I'd like to talk about the kind of therapy. One is if the couple are having serious issues and only one of the parties wants to actually get help, what's the mm. best solution for something like that? Well, there's a couple of different things, but let's start with like just practical. You know, one of the things I learned back in my days as a stockbroker, one of the hard lessons I learned is um, just get a small order first. Ask for a small order, right? So, you know, so back in the days when we'd still like, you know, sell stocks over the telephone to people, right? You just want to get a small order. If you get a small order, then they could be your client for a long time. So just ask for one session. Let's say you're you're in a relationship and you want to do couples counseling and your partner doesn't. Don't a lot of times what I see people do is they'll go, so look, I really think we need couples counseling. It's probably going to take some time because we have a lot of issues. Like no one's going to want to sign up, right? For like months of like an session every week of couples counseling. If they're relo- if that sounds torturous to them, like that's too big of an ask. So just ask for one session. One session. And what I always tell people, which I'm very proud of, right? Not only me personally, but all the therapists in my company, we have a 100% record. Everybody gets out alive at the first session. No one has ever died in the first session, right? So so worst case scenario, the person like this is, the I can't imagine anything worse. You get them in the first session and they never have to come back if they really hated it and it seems like it's not valuable. Now, why would like why would we tell people that looked only get them to the first session and they never have to come back if they don't like it? Usually because the person that's reluctant to go to couples counseling, the story they have, just like you know, you're imagining psychotherapists are analyzing each other, right? Analyzing other people. What it's actually like with someone that knows what they're doing is completely different, right? Where it's not like what you see in TV. Well, again, there's couples counseling that it really is like what you see in TV and the movies. The therapist is trying to work out what's wrong with both of you, what's wrong with the two of you together. And like, it's just a horrible experience. But what we do, you know, this particular brand of couples counseling that we practice is we're trying to understand what is the system that this couple co-create with each other, that it takes both of them to create, not because either of them are bad, but because they love each other so much that they get threatened when they're disconnected and they engage in survival strategies that even though they make logical sense, they end up making the relationship worse, not better. And when you look at the relationship through that lens, it's very, it's much easier to actually have empathy and compassion for each other. So usually someone that doesn't want to go to couples counseling, they don't want to go because they are pretty sure they're about to discover even more information about how they're the bad one in relationship. And then they go to a first session and they discover, oh, wow, this actually might be a safe place for me that I'm not the bad one. This, this therapist is saying it's both of us. They're not, they're not also just focused on me and what I'm not doing. They might be the very first person to sign up for the second session. This is the best hour of the week. 
It's the only hour I have that it's not like all, and it all emphasize and how crap I am at relationship. Excellent. And I'm just curious because sometimes men prefer to relate to men because they feel like they'll hear them better. They'll have a better conversation. The woman will feel that they'd prefer to have a woman. What's the situation when the partners would prefer their own sex? Or is there ever a situation where you could have two counselors like yourself and your wife? That yeah. Are... Yeah, sometimes people do two at the same time. Uh, like, you know, like, you know, they have both therapists. I mean, my wife and I don't see people at the same time. Like, we've definitely led workshops together where we're working with multiple couples at the same time. But, um, yeah, it, it happens, right? But, you look, I haven't found it to be that big of an issue um, where one person wants a man, the other person wants a woman, and it's it's a real, like, let, let's go, let's fight this one out. Right. We're going to like we're going to make this uh, our big relationship issue. What gender the therapist is. Um, I haven't found it to be an issue. But yeah, so definitely people call in sometimes with a preference for a man or a woman um, therapist or, you know, they want a parent. Right. Or, you know, they want someone. You know, that uh, their same sexual orientation, you know, it, it happens, but. Yeah, but it hasn't, it's not something that I find is a big issue with couples. And I know you've uh, created a course. So one, you might just kind of, just for those that are kind of speaking, coaching, that are interested in creating a course, you might give some advice on that, but also what you kind of cover in the course. Yeah, yeah. Well, so here's the interesting thing. Yeah, we have like, we have several courses for people. And here's the way I think about the courses, right? The courses are great, right? They're really good. Well, here's the, the truth of the matter is, right? Is something like, what is it? 87% of people that sign up for online courses never finish them. They just don't finish them. Um, and so look, we put a lot of effort into courses. The courses are really good. If people did them, they actually really help. And, and we got people tell us like how much they helped. And there is no substitute for live experiential, like counseling. There's just, it, it's just, it's literally, you know, there's a thousand to one, the difference in the benefit, right? So the course is like, look, whether it's because like that counseling stuff, that's weird. I'm not ready for that. So I'll do a course on my own or we don't have the money to do counseling every week. Let's do the course and let's dedicate ourselves to doing it. Um, but but let's be clear, it is the it's the silver or bronze of how to help people. Right. So um, and then the other thing, at least with what I do, like couples counseling, all the brand, a lot of the branding has been looked after for us, right? When people, let's say, they have a fight with their, um, and at least maybe in Ireland, it's like they have a fight with their spouse. They go, "I'm off to the pub. That'll fix things," right? In um, America, and most of our clients are in like San Francisco, Silicon Valley, but we see people all over the world, right? When they have a hard time in their relationship, whether that's a moment or a period of time they already know to look for couples counseling. Like it's already in their brain. We don't have to create like, oh, I wonder what we'll do. 
What do we do? Like they already know to go to Google, right? Or go ask their friends, you know, a good couples counselor, right? Um, no one has ever woke up in the morning and said, you know what I need? I need a couples counseling course, <laughs> right? So so we had a bit of a big refocus in the last um, year, year and a half that like we have a, like an app we build for couples. We have courses. And then I kind of realized that, you know, it's so crazy. The therapy business is growing like a weed. Like I was focused so much on the courses and like being this um, good relationship advice for many. Like that's ultimately we'd love to, you know, help, you know, millions and millions of people. But but what really works is this kind of deep attending to one couple at a time. And and that's what people want, right? So so yeah, we still have all the courses, and again, we're, they're very good. But I have very little trust in people actually do the work, right? People just don't do the work on their own without a without a coach, right, to guide them through it. I've seen that um, on your website, like the team. You've got a a lot of uh, counselors on the team, and I'm just curious, how do you kind of decide who's a match yeah so we have an intake coordinator therapist matchmaker and they talk to our prospective clients right and you know counseling and coaching right so and um then they and they know they have a relationship with every one of the therapists their job is to know the therapists and coaches really well and then they will actually make a recommendation of which coach or therapist or coach or therapist that they think the prospective client should speak to given, you know, they don't like bold, if they don't like bold, like Irish accented men, they're not going to be recommended to me. Right. And then like, well, we, we also run, this is actually, you know, I, I've obviously become very American. Um, I really believe in running a meritocracy. And what I mean by that is like, yeah, we have equal opportunity at our company. We'll hire anybody that's good and they'll get an opportunity to, you know, to thrive here. But we really assess how good is the actual therapist at delivering value to our clients. And the better they are at delivering value, the higher their fee. And the more opportunities they get. And you know, that's to me. That's what that's what the the customer deserves, right? Um, and so, so yeah. So fee is going to be a big issue, right? It's like you know. So when we're how how do they decide which therapist, right? Like again, you don't like bold men with Irish accents, right? That's important to know, right? And what how much what is your budget for counseling, right? Because then we'll be able to point you towards the right fit for you, given your particular situation and what uh, what you can afford. I actually like that on your website is you're fairly transparent with your pricing and you mentioned kind of where the range goes, whereas a lot of yeah. people don't do that. They're kind of like, get them in the door and then just kind of land it on their lap. And I think you're doing yourself, um, you're getting more clients by doing it that way. Cause then people, they're not going to be doing a discovery call 
when they think it's going to be like 20 bucks or something like that, or 50 bucks, you know? It's, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, by the way, the other thing with psychotherapy, which, you know, part of what, um, you know, there's a, there's a pretty well-established, you know, there's obviously law, but ethics and in this new world that we live in, it's very easy for payments to be in the background and we don't have to talk about it, right? The credit card will be charged automatically. We just don't, we let's not, let's not you and me deal with that money stuff as we're in our conversation. But one of the things that's really important with psychotherapy, and you have to tell someone what the fee is directly. Now, it's just an ethical thing that, you know, it's like a, an old, it's like like a, a a trip back to the way it used to be. You have to look in the person's eyes and you have to tell them the fee and they're usually okay with the fee. Like you can't, they, we're not going to um, have it be something that it's kind of, ah, that's the ugly part. We won't look at it directly, right? So we're always like up very, very upfront. <laughs> Sometimes uh, the clients might think it's weird just how like, okay, okay, like you're, you don't have to be that transparent, but, but it's not, it's just psychotherapy in general. We look at it as part of the relationship because it's really important to name clearly because of the intimate nature of the work. And, and by the way, the mo all the research is clear. The thing that makes psychotherapy work is the quality of the relationship with the therapist. That's the number one factor that makes it work. But then we want to make sure always that we're being really clear and transparent that it is like you're, you're paying me, I'm your guide, but it is a professional relationship. Um, so yeah, being really transparent about the fee is very, very important to keeping the safety of the uh, container with the clients. Okay, excellent. Just curious on a situation that I kind of noticed in Poland. I, I, I haven't really seen it much in Ireland, but in Poland where a partner belittles the other. It happens a lot in Poland that they're putting them down. Usually the woman putting down the man. I've seen it with a load of different friends that I've got. And they kind of, they just brush it off or whatever. But it's like, when there's a situation like that, What's like, how do they overcome that? And I'm not talking the once off. It's like a continuous thing that I've seen with, with a few people. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, look, here's the most common relationship dynamic. Of course, I, I don't know these particular people and what's happening. Right. But the most common relationship dynamic is one person is hurting deep down inside because they don't feel prioritized or they don't feel special to their partner. They don't feel really cared for. And so they're hurting inside. And then what they do to protest hurting inside is they criticize, belittle, share their disapproval with their partner. Now, the partner then feels belittled, disapproved of, like they're unacceptable, they're not enough, not appreciated. So they're hurting inside. And so now they are dismissive, defensive, disengaged, which of course confirms for the first person, see, I'm really not cared for. I'm not special. I'm not important. I'm not a priority. They hurt even more. So now they have more reason to go to be more belittling in public. So that person feels worse inside. And now it's in front of other people. So it just got a 10 X in front of it. It got multiplied. You're going to actually make me feel all these feelings of not appreciated, appreciated, belittled in front of other people. So now they're feeling that pain 10x more. So now they'll be even more dismissive of their partner. 
And then guess what's going to happen? The partner is going to feel even more like you just are not here for me. I am so alone. And they will be even now they're not even going to be belittling. They'll actually like try and trip them up at the top of the stairs in front of their friends. Right. So I don't know if you noticed the story I tell, and this is the key. It's not a one way thing. If you see someone belittling another, there's a system that both of those people are engaged in together where they're both hurting and they're both engaged in strategies to survive that are making things worse. And here's the punchline. This is actually very sad for both of them. Now, again, I don't know if you notice, imagine if I'm talking to that couple instead of trying to fix, hey, what's up with you and the belittling or what's up with you on your way to the pub every Friday instead of being at home with your missus? Right. I'm not trying to shame either of them, correct either of them. I'm actually, again, trying to find a narrative where they both make a lot of sense and they're both worthy of a lot of love and empathy. And this is a tragic misunderstanding of what's happening between the two of you. The two of you love each other so much. That's why you're getting into these awful, awful interactions with each other that are so painful. Right. Now, now, so you're like, do you yeah. think that couple will come back next week? Absolutely. Most likely, yeah. right? No, that, I love it. That's I a very positive yeah. story. Yeah, it's brilliant. Right? Yeah, so, yeah. And it's true, by the way. Yeah. And it's not something, it's not like putting some woo-woo glitter on top of a painful situation. It's true. And it gives hope for a path that we could actually make things better. Brilliant, brilliant. And I suppose another one which could relate to a lot of people that when there's children involved, when there's different kind of parenting styles, that can cause a lot of kind of friction in the house. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, it's the it's the same, basically the same thing, right? So there's always the, the issue is never the main issue. It's really and parenting. This is a, a tricky one, but but it's look is firstly let's say there's there's the issue itself about we have different parenting styles, and then there's the emotional pain that is happening between the two parents. Let's say if I tell my kids, like, eat up everything on your plate, because that's what I learned to do. And then my wife says, like, hey, don't that'll give them a really bad relationship with food. Don't force them to eat. Right. Well, look, we have a disagreement, you know, about how you how you attend to the kids and we like at mealtime. Right. We, it would be the wrong direction to think the most important thing we have to talk about is what's right or wrong. And we both go and find our research. Right. That would be like I'd like backing up our point of view. The real first issue we have to deal with is, you know, when I suggested something to the kids and you corrected me, my feelings got hurt. And then I defended myself. But when I defended myself, it hurt your feelings. Right. Because I was actually disappointed in you and mad at you for hurting me. And now your feelings are and now you're actually coming over the top and being even more adamant about your point of view. We've got into an emotional bonding disconnection and we got to resolve the emotional bonding issue first. And if we can get back to being connected to each other emotionally because we have empathy for how this conversation is actually very hard for both of us, then we can return to the parenting what do we do? How do we be on the same team about how we attend to mealtime? Right. That, and and then, of course, the other element of this is like, look, so much of how we parent is because we've been we have inherited 
the way we were brought up ourselves. So being able to be conscious, being able to be curious about what is it in me that makes me think, for example, like, you know, make sure you eat everything on your plate, right? Is, is the right way. There's a way to be curious about oneself and where does that come from? versus like believing this is just a real this is the uh, this is the way I do it right you know um there's there's a reason why you I have that point of view it's not universally true that a kid should eat everything on their plate or shouldn't eat everything on their plate so you have to be able to engage in some process of curiosity about where does this idea come from inside of both of us okay yeah. excellent and I'm just curious because um one of the books a lot of people are familiar with uh, the five love languages um by uh gary chapman yeah you know where they're kind of talking about some people like the touch some people like the gifts and different things is that something that you feel is very relevant or is it just gone out of context well i mean look it's not irrelevant but it wouldn't be the deepest most important thing Right. The deepest, most important thing is actually quite simple. Right. We there's one particular theory that is the best theory to understand what love is. And in short, it's a, it's attachment theory and attachment theory is arguably the most solid researched area in all of psychology. You have the most evidence ba backing it up. And in short, we all just need to be attached, emotionally bonded from the cradle to the grave. And again, wh why from the cradle would we need to be emotionally bonded? Because when you're born, if there isn't an, a good enough other human being, a grown up on the other side of your birth, for most of us, it's our birth mother, you would die. You'll, you'll physically die. So your body is built to detect, is my person there? And if they're not there, your body is right to tell you, you are facing an existential threat. You need to protest and protest loudly. Right? That, that, that's like that's the essential part of what it is to be a human being. Before we start like being able to use calculators and self-driving cars, we have this, oh my God, I need another person or else I'll die. And now that you're a grown-up on your way to the grave, just because you've got your Amazon Prime subscription, right, and Netflix, you think you don't need any other people. It's not true. You're physio physiologically the exact same. When it looks like your person's not there for you, you're going to get threatened and you're going to protest. So as simple as that sounds, that's that's the most important part, right? When you look at what human beings are doing through the lens of attachment, every single time you see a couple having a hard time with each other, it's because they're in attachment slash emotional bonding distress. And everything they're doing and saying is just their way of protesting uh, being in emotional bonding distress. And if all of that is true, they're actually both worthy of a lot of empathy and care. And if we can calm them down for a minute, we can help them feel that for each other and then actually be curious about themselves and each other and then actually share their most vulnerable feelings in a way that will give them the best opportunity for their needs to be met by each other. Excellent, excellent. And just uh, with the empathy then with the I, I mean, I for Ireland, and just curious, 
what was the reasoning behind the <laughs> the empathy with an I in the end, not a Y in the end? Um, well, look, really, the main reason I tried to buy empathy with a Y in the end dot com, and um, the guy wouldn't sell it to me. For all I know, I was talking to Elon Musk or something, right? But but yeah, the guy wouldn't sell. I was glad he at least talked to me. And so empathy with an I on the end was the um was the kind of what do you call it, Jimmy rigged, or I think in America they say Jerry rigged um solution, right? Um and then of course, you know, like you know, I lived in San Francisco for whatever number of years, almost my entire adult life. And that was the thing, right? Shopify, like, I don't know, like put like having some slight, like little twist to a word, right? So, um, but yeah, so empathy is the key, right? We're always trying to get people to have this empathic experience. And a lot of people don't quite get what empathy is. And, you know, in short, it's like feeling with people what they're feeling. But most people understand one way empathy. But what we're trying to do is have people feel empathy squared, which so both people are hurting. And we're not just trying to get one person to feel empathy for the other. We're trying to have them both to be in, in their pain and both of them feeling their own pain and each other's pain at the exact same moment. So it's just this complete circular, like, like they're, they're just immersed fully. And, oh, my God, I feel so much, so much like sadness that we are both hurting that's actually where people can connect really deeply and love each other so so that that's the key transformational experience to get people into that shared empathic moment with each other excellent and just to finally because i always like to kind of know with the social media it's a minefield out there what you feel serves you best with all the different platforms that are there yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, look, obviously for reach, you know, like um, TikTok is really good for reach. But but, you know, what we find is um, YouTube. We like YouTube the best, primarily because given the nature of our work and what we're doing, right, it's not very fluffy, right? It's it's all these kind of like deep like answers that we find that, you know, while we don't have, we haven't cracked YouTube, that we get a big audience. However, the people that are watching our videos, they're they're really interested, you know, in a significant way in what we're doing, and they're dramatically more likely to reach out. And and podcasts, right? I mean, you know, it's not social media, but we like um, you know, podcasting, and YouTube is probably the the most important channels for us. And I saw that, yeah, because I've I've playing around with that as well. I've started to put the podcasts on YouTube because now YouTube have the option. Have you found that beneficial to your uh, your numbers on the? YouTube well, you, you know, it's interesting. I haven't looked. Um, I I primarily, yeah. So I haven't looked like um myself. Um, I'm a little bit of obsessive compulsive. The more I stay away from the numbers, I mean, you know, like my first job was like you know, like trading and stuff. Um, I know you have the cryptocurrency podcast in 2017, when I first started trading, like, you know, cryptocurrencies, now I'm a Bitcoin only toddler, but, um, my wife was like, why are you working as a therapist? Why aren't like, you should just do this full time, but it just isn't a good, it doesn't feel good. 
like you know i can definitely get obsessed with the numbers and i'm watching all the time and i like technical analysis um but it doesn't feel good so i actually try and stay away personally from actually all of the metrics because i have that part of my brain that will just dive in and i'll get really obsessive um but so yeah it's an intro i gotta check like how we have put we have created the the youtube podcast like area on our youtube channel um but i'm not sure what the impact has been i i like having these conversations and just keep doing them and i'm not that concerned about whether people look listen to them i just trust that if i keep having like you know meaningful conversations for me that um the rest will look after itself you know i believe the same it's like the person it'll land on the person that needs to hear it exactly yeah 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 listen fiacre thoroughly enjoyed the conversation you might let people know how can they get in contact with you yeah i would say the the, the easiest way is just the website again it's empathy with an eye on the end dot com and you can find our podcast there. Like I said, we built a web app for couples. That's a really easy way. And it's totally free to get to know the wisdom. And you, you'll you find out what your attachment style is. So if you take the quiz at empathy.com, that's probably the easiest way. Then once you've taken the quiz, we'll be able to stay in contact forever if you want or not. Um, yeah, that's it. Yeah, perfect. Thank you very much, Victor. Thank you, Roy. Good to yeah. uh, meet you. Yeah, good to speak with you too. I'll make sure I put the links both on the audio and the video. Basically, for those listening, you'll find every episode on speakingpodcast.com, also yeah. YouTube, and you'll find my coaching along with my other uh, websites on bio.link forward slash podcast. Or be sure to give us a thumbs up, five star written, and make sure you check out Fiacra, aka Figs. O'Sullivan's um, podcast with his wife. Give him a five-star rating as well. It really helps. Until next week, take care.